Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Burt's Books podcast. This week, on top of all the lovely books I have been sending out, I have made a little teeny tiny bit of progress on getting a real life bookshop. It is still taking forever, but hopefully, fingers crossed, I will have some news for you soon. Also, I started a new book club with two of my friends, and last night was our first meeting. And the first thing that we read was the label on the gin bottle. So I've got a feeling I'm going to be a little bit slower than normal today. And if you're wondering, the first book that we will be reading, because last night was just about deciding that first book, uh, will be Rough Music by Patrick Gale, which I'm delighted about, because not only is Patrick Gale one of my favourite writers, but I've already read it. So I've got a little bit of a head start on the others. Now, there is no round of Page Master this week because I forgot to organise one, but if you want to take part in one next week, please do get in touch. So no round of Pagemaster but two brilliant new books to review and an update on the news and of course the latest charts. It's all coming up on the other side of this week. First up this week is The Coral Bride by Roxanne Bouchard. This is an Arenda Books title, and in fact, it is going to be the first, or one of the first two books in the Arenda Books subscription, which you can order, sign up to now on birthbooks.co.uk. Just search for Arenda. What's it about, though? That is what you were going to want to know. Well, first off, here's the blurb. When an abandoned lobster trawler is found adrift off the coast of Quebec's Gaspé Peninsula, DS Joaquin Morales begins a straightforward search for the boat's missing captain, Angel Roberts, a rare female in a male-dominated world. But, Rem- but Morales finds himself blocked at every turn by his police colleagues, by fisheries bureaucrats and by his grown-up son, who has turned up at his door with a host of personal problems. When Angel's body is finally discovered, it's clear something very sinister is afoot. Morales and Son are pulled into murky, dangerous waters where old resentments run deep. This is, well, first of all, it's translated from the original French and it is a sequel to Bouchard's previous book, We Were the Salt of the Sea. Now, I actually think you can read this as a standalone. It doesn't matter that Morales has been in a previous book. Uh, you don't really need to know that. This is a story about uh, Angel. So Angel is a... He's a lobster fishing woman, I think is the right way. Basically, there's all these boats around this peninsula that go out fishing. And some of them go for lobster, some of them go for shrimp. Some of them used to go for cod, but then there was a moratorium put on the cod. And sort of the licences became a bit rarer... Uh, the shrimp fishing had to be shared among more people. So sort of all became a little bit fractious or a little bit more fractious than it ever was because this is a small community. And as the blurb says, resentments run deep, but they long run for a long time as well. It's kind of place where you will remember, you know, you will not like that person because your grandfather and his grandfather had a falling out. It's... It's got a real sense of community. Everybody seems to know everybody else. And Morales himself is is quite an interesting lead character. He 
is estranged from his wife and his eldest son has turned up to try and find out why but also to fight his own sort of struggles and they're both new to the area and are struggling to fit in I guess is the right way of putting it. I had a little trouble reading this. Uh, again, it's, it's my age-old problem. I, I don't necessarily know how to pronounce all the names in in these books. And so when I'm reading it, because I kind of... I don't read out loud, but I, I hear the things in my head. I always struggle thinking, is that the right way to say that? Is And it kind of takes me out of the story a bit. But once I settled on the right way, once I sort of got through that and said, right, this is how I'm pronouncing it, uh, then it was a really good book. It it really brings you into this sort of tiny community where uh, everybody knows everybody's business. Uh, but it also has this really great mystery at the start of it. So the Coral Bride is... Angel Roberts herself. She goes missing on the on her wedding anniversary, and she and her husband every year on the wedding anniversary, they dress up in their wedding clothes again. And uh, after a big party, she she goes home, and then her boat is missing when when people wake up the next day, and she is missing, and nobody knows where she is. And then her boat is found, but she is not. Now, as a reader, we know, because it's right at the very beginning, that somebody has been dragged off. Well, in fact, we know it's Angel Roberts. We know exactly how Angel Roberts dies, because it's right there in in the beginning. And it's kind of sort of surrounded with ID, circumstances of death, missing person report... It's quite an interesting way to start the story because we know all the details apart from who did it. But when we get into the main story, the characters don't know any of this stuff. So we are at an advantage. But obviously some of the characters are at more of an advantage because they know bits of the secrets and they know bits of the mysteries that will help us deduce what was going on. Both Morales... Joaquin and Sebastian are very interesting characters. I I probably was more intrigued by Sebastian than his father, just because I wanted to know just what he was doing there, why he was running away from his wife. And I found myself getting weirdly invested in him. Like, I was... You think it's going one way, then it, you think it's going another way, and I was a bit alarmed at one of the directions I thought it was going to take and I realised then that I actually cared more about this character than I thought I did. Another character who was really uh, sort of intriguing was a guy named, and I am going to say this completely wrong, Lefebvre. His his spell L-E-F-E-B-V-R-E um, and he is a detective or a policeman at the local station where Joaquin goes to investigate this, this death or this disappearance as it is at the time. And he he's very odd. He, he's almost like 
he brings as he's talking he brings items to him so at the start of the chapter he might be sat at a table with Joaquin but then he gets up and he starts moving around and by the end of the chapter he's literally sat at the table with a conch shell or a game of Monopoly uh, and maybe something weird from the kitchen and he gathers them all and Joaquin later deduces that he probably uses these things as a way of remembering things but he almost does it subconsciously and it's he's he's a fascinating character and actually I would like to get to know him more in the next book I'm assuming there'll be a next book I would really like to get to know him more he, I found him particularly intriguing one other thing about this book was so much food in it I mean I know it's set around a fishing community but they all seem to be cooking or eating the whole time and it made me maybe a little bit hungry but it made me it's not it's not the sort of food that I would I would eat I'm not a fish fan and so more than anything it made me make my stomach sort of twist a little bit because I thought of all of that fish it just it doesn't appeal to me at all and but because of that I also didn't understand half of what they were making because I don't know all the differences in fish and the way that they're prepared and and all of this so I'm sure it was probably all lovely food but I haven't got a clue what they were eating and I don't think I really want to but it's made me want to I don't know, I, I kind of want to visit this place now and, and really get to know it. I think it's a really good way of living, a really nice way of living. There's one character there who she goes out, her husband goes out and catches fish, she grows her own pl- her own vegetables, and they are really self-sufficient. And I think, actually, wouldn't it be great if all of us were like that? Um, the Coral Bride by Roxanne Bouchard is out on the 12th of November. It's from Arenda Books. It's translated on the back, it says here, by David Warriner. And as I said, you could get yourself a copy of this by signing up to the Arenda Books subscription over at birthsbooks.co.uk. Or you can just pre-order it now. So the news this week uh, is, is kind of all about Arenda Books. They won the Crime Writers Association Publisher Award on Thursday. So they are officially the best publisher out there for crime and mystery books. So if you want a good, brilliant read uh, from that genre, then those are the people to go to. And that is a perfect timing, of course, because we have just launched the Arenda Books subscription at Burt's Books. And, as if all of this was planned, one of the first books that you will be getting, if you sign up to that, is The Coral Bride, which I just reviewed. It is like it is all coming together. Speaking of The Coral Bride, there will be a launch event with Arenda Books and Burt's Books. We are teaming up to do this event. On the 17th of November, uh, at 7pm, if you email cole at arendabooks.co.uk, you will be able to come along virtually to a conversation between Roxanne Bouchard, the author of The Coral Bride, with West Camel. And of course, if you want a signed copy of The Coral Bride, then you can just go to birthsbooks.co.uk and order yourself one. It is as easy as that. Next up this week, it's one that I have been wanting to get my hands on for ages. It's actually already out. I've just not been able to 
find the time to, to get round to it. It's Homestretch by Graham Norton. Uh, here's the blurb. It is 1987 and a small Irish community is preparing for a wedding. The day before the ceremony, a group of young friends, including the bride and groom, drive out to the beach. There is an accident. Three survive, but three are killed. The lives of the families are shattered and the rifts between them are felt throughout the small town. Connor is one of the survivors. But staying among the angry and mourning is almost as hard as living with the shame of having been the driver. He leaves the only place he knows for another life, taking his secrets with him. Travelling first to Liverpool, then London, he makes a home of sorts for himself in New York. The city provides shelter and possibility for the displaced, somewhere Connor can forget his past and forge a new life. But the secrets, the unspoken longings and regrets that have come to haunt those left behind will not be silenced, and before long, Connor will have to confront his past. I have really enjoyed uh, Graham Norton's previous books, Holding and A Keeper, and I actually thought... He's been, he, he's been getting better, so a keeper was better than holding. And so I was really excited for this one, especially as the main character was a man. He's been writing about women in his previous two books. And what I really wanted from Graham Norton was an exploration of what it meant to be gay. The reason I say that, obviously Graham Norton himself is gay. And I thought the way that he writes, he would have something interesting to say. And I was unsure at first why he hadn't put a gay character in his previous books, or at least a a lead gay character. But I guess from a publishing point of view, from a writer point of view it makes sense he graham that is wants to make a career of this that that much is clear and what you then don't want to do is really put that career you don't want it to become known as a celebrity author this is a really weird way of saying it what i guess i'm trying to say is if he'd come out with a story about being gay um as a as his first book everyone would have assumed it was autobiographical that uh, and they would have heard his voice and that is one of the best things that graham norton has done is that you can read these books and not know it was him that wrote them you don't hear his sort of caustic vulgar which i love humor sort of going through this book you don't hear his cynicism that you get from the radio or his political sort of jokes they're very much apart from his uh, celebrity persona. And so what he's done by writing the first two books uh, and sort of not concentrating on this is he's managed to detract, detach his literary uh, things from himself. So you read this book, you read this story about Connor, who is, I'm going to tell you, he is a gay man. Uh, you read this book and you don't picture Graham Norton as the lead character. Uh, so the reason I'm telling you that Connor is a gay man is it's not told. It's not something that you are told straight away, but it is something that something that I figured out 
fairly early on, uh, which I always say is a really good way of... If, if you've written a gay character and you don't reveal it straight away, if the gay audience can tell he's a gay character, then you've written a really good gay character. Because my gay gar was pinging with Connor. Uh, so he... Let's, let's just go for it. So he's... Uh, he's one of the survivors of this car accident. He's admitted to having been the driver. And he goes to court. He gets a suspended sentence. But the whole village, this really close-knit community, is devastated. And he can't live with the guilt of being around these people, of having caused this much uh, sort of grief. So it gets decided that he's going to move to Liverpool and he goes there and he becomes a builder but he soon it's not for him and he he moves off to London meanwhile in Mullinmore which is the sort of village that he lives in with his family uh, sort of life is going on and we see things from the perspective of his sister Ellen and she is asked out on a date by Martin Coulter now, Martin Coulter is one of the other survivors from the car accident. The third survivor was a woman named Linda who has been paralysed. She's in a wheelchair. So Ellen and Martin, they go out on this date and they become close. Uh, things seem to work out and, you know, they get engaged and then they get married. And then she suffers this really odd relationships like so she has sex for the first time and it's not what she thought it was going to be it hurts uh they have sort of perfunctory sex i guess is the right way of putting it over the sort of coming years and they have two children and then they never really have sex again and she's kind of in this sexless loveless marriage they don't really even talk about things anymore and she's a bit unsure as to why he married her in the first place, and it's just miserable. Meanwhile, Connor is over in New York. He's with his partner, Tim. They've been together for a long time. But things aren't right there, either. And it all comes together many, many years later. And, and that's what I like. We sort of go through the years, and we don't... We pick on bits and pieces, and we learn more about these characters and what they've been through. And we learn more about the community, so... We see things from, at the beginning, from each of the parents' points of view of the of this accident. We, we learn how this car accident has devastated the whole village. And many, many years later, Connor does return. And he looks at that roundabout where the accident takes place. And there's no marker. He's, there's no memorial that it ever happened. And he's a bit confused. He's a bit concerned, like, you know, why have people moved on? He hasn't moved on. He's let this whole accident sort of inform his life. And then we realise that actually deep down, this whole accident has informed the lives of so many people in this community. It's, it's devastated them and it's continued to have effects. And what does it all pin back to? What does this devastation what caused it well i'm not going to tell you because that would be ruining the book but it's a lovely lovely book to read it's heartbreaking in equal measure and i just i just want to read more by him he's he's such a great writer 
that this book, I think, you, you know, it's even better than his last one. Yeah, so that is Graham Norton. It's Homestretch. It's out in hardback right now. Last week on the charts, I said that most of the big books were out now. Clearly, I was wrong, because this week there are a stonking seven new releases. Three non-fiction, including biographies of Arsene Wenger, Philip Schofield, and Adam Kay's new book for kids, Kay's Anatomy. From a fiction point of view, there are four new releases. Ghosts, by Dolly Alderton. Nina Dean has arrived at her early 30s as a successful food writer with loving friends and family, plus a new home and neighbourhood. When she meets Max, a beguiling romantic hero who tells her on date one that he's going to marry her, it feels like all is going to plan. Now, date one, being told you're going to be married to that person, a little bit creepy, I think. Anyway, carry on. A new relationship couldn't have come at a better time. Her 30s have not been the liberating, uncomplicated experience she was sold. Everywhere she turns, she is reminded of time passing and opportunities dwindling. Friendships are fading, ex-boyfriends are moving on, and worse, everyone is moving to the suburbs. There's no solace to be found in her family, with a mum who's caught in a baffling midlife makeover, and a beloved dad who is vanishing in slow motion into dementia. Next new release is Warlord by Bernard Cornwell. After years fighting to reclaim his rightful home, Ufred of Bebenberg has returned to Northumbria with his loyal band of warriors and a new woman by his side. His household is secure, yet Ufred is far from safe. Beyond the walls of his impregnable fortress, a battle for power rages. To the south, King Ethelstan has unified the three kingdoms of Wessex, Mercia and East Anglia, and now eyes a bigger prize. To the north, King Constantine and other Scottish and Irish leaders seek to extend their borders and expand their dominion. Caught in the eye of the storm is Uthred. I think I've said that name three times, and wrong, and different, three times. Threatened and bribed by all sides, he faces an impossible choice. Stay out of the struggle, risking his freedom, or throw himself into the cauldron of war and the most terrible battle Britain has ever experienced. Only fate can decide the outcome. Next, it's Rag and Bone Christmas by Dilly Court. Paradise Row, London, December 1865. Snow is falling fast and Sally Suggs is working tirelessly to bring in enough money to keep bread on the table. Her father, a skilled rag and bone man, has fallen ill and now Sally has taken up his trade. But this is a man's world and competition is fierce and Sally's rival, Finn Kelly, always seems to be one step ahead. There was an evil guy in Neighbours called Finn Kelly. Uh, her, fab- her family's one valuable possession is their horse, Flower, yet with no one to protect them, London's underbelly of black market traders circle closer. Sally needs to find help in the most unexpected places if they are to survive. And the final new release this week is Serpentine by Philip Pullman. Lyra and her demon Pantalum... Pantal- Pantaloon, I don't know how to say it, have left the events of his dark materials far behind in this snapshot of their forever changed lives. They return to the north to visit an old friend where we will learn that things are not exactly as they seem. That one's a bit mysterious. Anyway, last week's number one, Mrs. Hinch, is one of the casualties from those seven new releases. So I can reveal that we have a new number one 
But what will it be? Will it be one of those seven new releases? Will it be one of the free books that manages to hold on to their slot in the top 10? There is, as ever, only one way to find out, and that is by using data sourced from Nielsen Bookscan's Total Consumer Market Panel Chart. New in at 10, it's Kay's Anatomy by Adam Kay. At 9, another new entry, it's Serpentine by Philip Pullman. At 8, down 3 places, it's The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. And at 7, down 1 place, it's The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse by Charlie Mackesee. At 6, down 2 places, it's Mary Berry's Simple Comforts, which means we have 5 brand new entries in the top 5, all starting off with Ghosts by Dolly Alderton at 5. Rag and Bone Christmas by Dilly Court at 4, Bernard Cornwell's Warlord at 3, Life's What You Make It, the biography of Philip Schofield at 2, and Arsene Wenger's Life in Red and White at 1. So big change in the charts this week. Uh, I said last week that there probably won't be a big change. There was. There won't be next week uh, because there were no big new releases last week. However, there are some big new titles coming up on the 29th of October, so we might see some shifting around very, very soon. Uh, but then it's October is over and most of the new releases will be out. So it is anyone's game as to what will end up the Christmas number one. If you want a clue as to what that might be, tune in next week and we will update you on the latest chart. That is everything for this week. A little bit of a short one because uh, I need to go and have a nap. Thank you for listening to me waffle on. Do check out burtsbooks.co.uk if you need a new book. And in the meantime, I would love to hear from you about anything book related. Get in touch on social media at burtsbooks or via email bert at burtsbooks.co.uk. That is also the place to go if you want to take part in next week's Page Master Quiz. And please do remind me that I haven't organised one if I haven't organised one. I am off to have a little bit of a lie down and maybe close my eyes just for a bit. I'm not hungover. I'm just.